tonight we're going to start down that track. We began last week, but tonight we're going to begin down this track. I want you to turn to two passages of Scripture. Two passages. Uh, the first one is found in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. And then I'm going to have you turn to the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. You don't have it tonight. Both of those passages will be on the screen, but I strongly encourage you to find them in your Bible or in your Bible app so that you can read along with me. Zechariah 14 verse 5 reads like this. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquakes the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. And that's not going to make sense until later, but let's tie it into Revelation 20, verse 1 through 6. Revelation 20, verse 1 through 6. These are the words of, of John the Revelator as he is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And the Holy Spirit has instructed him to write down these things which were to come. Revelation 20, verse 1 says, Then... I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys to the bottomless pit, and a great chain was in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been, he been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has his part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Father, thank you so much for this word tonight. Pray that it would be encouragement to us as we look at your redemptive plan for humanity. And Lord, even though that so much chaos has ensued in the earth since the fall of Adam, the scripture tells us that you have a plan to the very end. And so, God, I pray that our hearts will be encouraged as we look at it. Give us greater understanding as we look at your word. Amen. Well, tonight, uh, we're going to start back down the trail of our We Believe series. This is actually Fundamental Truth 14 of our doctrinal statement of We Believe. We've been looking at our core doctrines, our core values, what makes us unique, what are our stances of Scripture as it relates to us as a church, locally, and as it relates to the Assemblies of God, greaterly, but uh, in, in, a, in a much larger fashion. Um, but tonight, we're going to start, as I mentioned, last week we just kind of broke the iceberg. We started looking at prophetic things. Last Wednesday night, if you were here, we talked about the blessed hope. And there are several things that I would like to rewind and just reiterate to you tonight, first of all, it's called the blessed hope, not the dreaded day. And we talked about how the rapture of the church, the doctrine of the rapture, has incited fear in the hearts of a lot of people. 
And uh, for various reasons, some of them legitimate reasons and others are just been because of um, uh, the theatrics of Hollywood or whatever. Um, The Bible says, though, that for us who love the Lord, we should be looking for his appearing. Uh, If you're ready to meet Jesus, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Amen. Uh, We went into Judaic history and looked at how the rapture of the church is a perfect typology it's type and shadow, hidden in truth as the picture of a Jewish wedding, how the, the bridegroom would uh, pay a price to uh, engage or betroth his bride. Then he would go back to his father's house, prepare a place, and whenever the father saw fit that the prepared place was ready, he would say, son, go and get your bride. That bride lived a holy life. She kept herself pure. She kept herself ready. She made sure her clothing, her attire, all of those things were ready because the bridegroom would come at any moment. And Jesus taught us to live that way as it relates to his return. He said, think not in in, in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man comes like a thief in the night. So we talked about that last week, talked about our pre-tribulational view, but we did talk about how there are two other main views of the, uh, the rapture of the church, there's a, pre, a mid-trib and a post-trib, but we looked at Scripture and saw how we come to the understanding of a, a pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, but also, uh, I mentioned that it's not a salvation point issue. So it's okay to believe differently uh, in that area. Here's what I will say, right nor wrong, I want to go on the first bus leaving. Hallelujah. Amen. So I guess you can say I'm a pan-tribber. It's going to all pan out. But scripturally, I look and see the pre-tribulational rapture because I see a distinction between Israel and the church. So we're moving forward because nobody really talks a lot about what happens after that horrid seven years. Because the rapture of the church starts a seven-year period on earth that is known as the tribulation period. Jeremiah refers to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is Israel. His, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And uh, it's a time, this tribulation period, is when the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth, upon all those who've rejected Christ, upon the beast, upon all of those things. But it's also a time for Israel's redemption. We're going to see that. Terrible things happen. It's Uh, The first three and a half years, there's a false sense of peace, so to speak, or a leader pops up in the world, and and everybody thinks, man, this guy's charismatic, he's, he's, you know, he knows what he's talking about, he gives the Jews permission to start building that third temple, which, by the way, has not been in existence since it was torn down in 70 A.D., Uh, and so uh, he gives them permission to build that third temple, and the, the Bible tells us both in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, that there will be something called the abomination of desolation, which means that that Antichrist, when that temple is dedicated, he's going to step right in the middle of there, and he's going to say, you know what? Don't thank God, thank me. And he's going to step into the place of God. And the Bible says at that point, all hell on earth is going to break loose. Something like the world has never seen or experienced um, there are people who have tried to post-date the, the, uh, the book of Revelation. There's a group of, of people, theologically, they're called preterists. 
They believe that all except for the last two chapters of the book of Revelation has already happened. I want you to know something. There's nothing in history ever recorded that, that marks or even comes close to what the Bible declares is going to happen in those years. It is absolutely terrible. This beast, this Antichrist, is going to demand worship, allegiance. He's going to demand a mark for those who are not uh, taken away at the rapture of the church. And uh, there are people who are going to be beheaded for their faith during this time. It's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And at the end of this period, the Bible says that the Lord comes in the clouds, sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. The Bible says the mountain, this is all in the book of Zechariah, the mountain cleaves in two and he walks down the Kidron Valley into the eastern gate in Jerusalem and takes his rightful place. It is so awesome. The book of Jude records it like this. Uh, and he quotes Enoch. It says, the Lord says he will come with 10,000 of 10,000 of his saints. It is going to be a powerful, powerful time. And so it, it's amazing. So um, what we see is there's not a lot of people who talk a lot about what happens in this thousand years and where we get it from scripturally and all those things. But there are a lot of issues and points in here tonight that I think are valuable and worth looking at. And so um, I hope that you will uh, join me tonight in looking at this. Uh, it's our fundamental truth number 14. Let me read it to you. It's in our notes. You can read it with me. Fundamental truth number 14 reads like this. The second coming of Christ includes the rapture of the saints, which is our blessed hope, followed by the visual return, the visible return of Christ with his saints to reign on earth for 1,000 years. So uh, let me explain that for a second. Because some people say it's two events. We believe it's, it's, it's one event in two segments. Because uh, Christ at the rapture, he catches up the saints. Okay, At the second coming, the Bible says he comes with the saints. Those are two different things. Uh, in the book of Revelation, during that tribulation period, there's clearly activity that happens in heaven during that time, the marriage supper of the Lamb and other things. So there's some transition that's happened on the earth. That's neither here nor there. But uh, as we look at this, I want to look at this mysterious time on earth and try not to uh, muddy the water or to cause us to misunderstand this. I want to make it simple. But let me start off like this. Many of us could not imagine a life, a world, an earth with no crime. How many of you have ever went to a big city on vacation or on a business trip? Perhaps you slept in a hotel. And I remember, I remember uh, a couple of times I've had the, uh, I, I say privilege and I say that tongue in cheek, I've had the privilege uh, to lay over in Chicago. And uh, whether coming back from, one time I was preaching in Indiana and I flew through Chicago, another time I was coming back from Africa and I stopped over in Chicago. And I remember just in the hotel room at night, you just hear guns and sirens like 24 hours a day. Seriously. Chicago next to Detroit is like the murder capital of the United States. It's terrible. And 
you see abductions, kidnappings, rapes, murders, muggings, theft, vandalism, you name it, you can find it. Uh, not to say that crime doesn't exist in the more rural areas, for all of us know that from time to time there's random strings of tweakers who uh, run through our parts of the, of the counties here, stealing tractors and stealing wires and stealing copper out of... Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That crime is everywhere. And it's, it's sin that actually causes people to live lawlessly. And, you know, we have a government, you know, but government on the earth is not perfect. Let's be honest, right? Uh, government's not perfect. We're to honor our government. We're to submit to government as long as it doesn't contradict us or, or lead us away from Christ. The Bible talks about that in Romans. But our governmental system from police department, sheriff, the president, everything, it's not perfect, okay? And so there's not perfect order or perfect peace on the world. But most of us can't imagine a place where there is perfect order or there is perfect peace. But I want you to know that the Bible tells us that there is going to be a time on earth when there's perfect peace. And that's going to be after this seven-year period when the Lord is going to uh, come down and he's going to destroy his adversaries. And the Bible says that he takes the devil... He binds him in chains and he throws him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, at that point, Christ is ruling from Jerusalem with uh, a rod of iron. And it is, make no mistake about it. We need to clarify our doctrine and our position tonight. This is happening on this earth right now like you know it. Christ comes back at the end of that seven years. He destroys uh, his enemies and those who are alive and remaining at that time. They are coming into this millennial kingdom. Okay? Now, the Bible says that we, the church, will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, what does that mean to rule and reign? I mean, that sounds like authority. It sounds like a, a position of prominence. So we got to ask ourselves the question about this thousand-year period. What, what's, what's the whole purpose? Who's going to be there? All of this is important. So let's back up for a second. The Bible teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible also teaches that at the coming of Christ for the church, the Bible says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed uh, the Bible says that the corruptible will put on incorruption. So literally, the scripture teaches us that at the resurrection of the saints, there is going to be such a transition that we who had died with a natural body are going to be resurrected with a glorified body. Y'all missed a good chance to shout. If you've ever woken up with aches and pains and stuff not working right, you need to thank God that you're going to have in heaven a glorified body. You say, what's it going to look like, Pastor? I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know that when Jesus resurrected, they recognized him, but he also was able to do crazy things, cool things. He passed through walls and crazy stuff. So I don't know exactly 
what it's going to be like. But I know this, it's not going to be a body like we have. It's not going to be corrupted by the curse. No sickness or pain or anything like that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a heavenly body, a glorified body. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're going to be with the Lord. When we come back with him, we're going to be in glorified bodies. We're going to be riding with him on a white horse. Hallelujah. But during this thousand years at the institution of it, you got to understand, not everybody is going to die during the tribulation period. They're not. Now, people who, you know, rejected Christ and there's going to be judgments and people are going to... But the scripture also says that during the tribulation period, there are going to be some that seek death, but they won't be able to find it. They'll be crying out to the rocks, fall on us, but they won't have any mercy. They're going to endure the wrath of the Lamb. Now, when you think about how horrible this is, but also, the Bible says that there are 144,000 sealed people with the mark of God on their forehead. These are 144,000 Jewish men whom God has marked. That mark is like the mark of Cain in the, New Te- in the Old Testament in Genesis when God marked him and, and said nobody can touch him. They're marked and they're not able to be killed and these 144,000 Jews that are marked their job is to preach the gospel to the Jewish people and those who are left during the tribulation period that's what the Bible says then there are two witnesses some say Moses and Enoch others say Moses and Elijah but there are two witnesses that are also testifying and they're 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 killed and 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 uh, resurrected it's crazy this book of Revelation is awesome you just need to read it Okay. You know, actually, there's some, there's some denominations. Actually, let me correct myself. There's one, and I won't, I won't mention if you care to know. You come ask me, and I'll tell you. There is one denomination that teaches, though, that you shouldn't read the book of Revelation. You really shouldn't concern yourself with it because you'll go crazy if you read it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's the only book that has a promise that if you read it, you'll be blessed for those who read it and who hear it. That's what he says. It's awesome. So what we see is that these people are in their natural bodies, right? And they enter into this millennial period. So you have two groups of people. You have people who have glorified bodies and people who don't. Now that's interesting. But we're going to have glorified bodies on that millennial reign. And then there's going to be majority of these Jewish people who have a natural flesh and blood body just like we do. Now, Satan is bound in chains for 1,000 years. People argue, is that a literal 1,000 years? Is it figurative? Here's my rule for Bible interpretation, okay? When the Bible is literal, take it literal. When it's figurative, take it figurative. There's nothing figurative in this passage right here about these 1,000 years. So it leads me to believe it's very probable to be a literal 1,000-year period. And so Christ is ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Satan is locked up, so there's no temptation of Satan. There's no sin going on the earth because Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. I imagine a child getting ready to get out of line and a parent just pops them, you know. Maybe they just look at that rod and they stay in check. I don't know. But they live under the reign of Christ and they're there during that time. Now what's the purpose of this millennial kingdom there's several reasons first of all number one God is 
is restoring some promises, fulfilling some promises to Israel during this time. There are promises of the land that God gave to, to, uh, to Abraham, that he would give his descendants this land, that they have not even fully possessed all of it to this day. In this millennial kingdom, they're going to get all of this land that God had promised them. He's going to write a new covenant on their hearts and in their minds that'll be different from the old one. God's going to make a covenant with Israel. He's fulfilling that. There's lots of things that are happening during this period. So I want to look at this. Number one, if you're taking notes, the beginning of this millennial reign, we see it in Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3. Notice he said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hell of the dragon and of that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, and he shut him up, and he set a seal upon him, so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Now, I want to look at the beginning of this millennial, millennial reign, this millennial kingdom. First of all, we see Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. Now, there's something in this passage that many of you may have just read right over. But let me ask you a question tonight. It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to think about it for a moment. Go back to verse 1 if you don't mind. The Bible says an angel came out of heaven having a key to the bottomless pit and great chain in his hand. And he, notice this, bound up the devil and put him into the pit. couple things here. First of all, who had the key to the bottomless pit? Huh? Who had the key to it? The angel had it. Let me, can let me tell you something? Hell, you ready for this? This is going to shock some people. Hell wasn't the devil's idea. Hell was God's idea. Now, it wasn't his plan for people to go there. It was reserved, Scripture says, for Satan and his fallen angels for everlasting judgment. Okay? So it's a, very, it's a tragic thing when people reject Christ and go to hell. They say, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? He doesn't. They do so free willingly by rejecting the way that God has made. Okay? So notice the angel had the key and who did the angel cast into the pit? Huh? Satan. Uh-oh. We have a problem. We have a problem. I have heard people pray through the years. And they're, they're just fussing out the devil, you know, when they're praying. And they're saying, you can just go back to hell where you belong. He's never been there. The devil has never been to hell yet. There's some demons who haven't been to hell yet. You say, whoa, really? Yeah. You remember the story of the book of Job? Uh, when uh, Job is going through things, and, and, or he's about to start going through things, and 
the Bible says that the, uh, the council of heaven is there and the angels are there before the throne of God and, and, and Lucifer, a fallen angel, appears before the throne of God and says, consider my servant Job. Now he's upright and da-da-da and, and he, he, he will curse you at the first opportunity he gets, Right? Okay, there's this whole backdrop that we are allowed to see behind the curtain to see. The book of Job is a bad book to, to, to really draw New Testament theology from, but it's there because it allows us to see some things. All Scripture is inspired by God. So, here's what I want you to see. Whenever Satan appeared before the throne of God in the book of Job, God asked him the question. He said, where have you been? Here was his answer. Walking to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. So where's Satan? On the earth. I hope he's not at your house. Amen. I don't know, but he's not in hell yet. Here's what you should know, though. He's not omnipresent like God. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So people are like, the devil's bothering me. You're not that special. He's about 10 foot from the Antichrist right now waiting on the opportunity to step in and, and possess him. Because he's Satan incarnate, who the Antichrist is. But Satan does have himself and demons who are on the earth and they're doing his bidding and his work and all of these things. These fallen spirits, right? And so Satan is bound for a thousand years, not able to tempt. See, we've got New Testament scripture too because the Bible says your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan is, in, is, is marching towards this impending judgment, which we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks when we look at the final judgment. But at the beginning of this millennial kingdom, Satan is thrown into this place with the abyss, and Christ will reign on earth with believers who have resurrected in the resurrected bodies and those who will go into this millennial kingdom and will be in their natural bodies. That's how they're going to live and how they're going to operate during this time. Second thing, I want to look at the nature of the millennial reign. Now, I'm not sure if I put this one on the screen, but Isaiah chapter 11 gives us some insight into what goes on during this time. Isaiah 11 Verses 1 through 9. Let's read it together. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. His branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor. He shall decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. Faithfulness will be the belt of his waist. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf with the lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze The young ones shall lie down together, and the lions shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand 
in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain. Isaiah is speaking of the time when God's promise to Israel is fully restored during this millennial kingdom. It's a time of peace. It's a time of justice where the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the knowledge of, of the Lord is, fills the earth like the water covers the sea. And all of the nations will submit to his authority. Even the animal kingdom will go against fallen nature. And even the vilest of animals, a child, the scripture says, will be able to bump up against a cobra's den and the cobra will not bite them. Wonderful place where Christ is reigning on the earth. I want you to turn over in Isaiah to Isaiah 35. I want to read a couple of verses from here. There's number three, I want to look at the blessings of this millennial reign. And then we're going to get into something very perplexing in just a moment. Isaiah uh, 35, 1 through 10, it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap up like a deer for the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall be for others. Um, Whoever walks that road, although a fool shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed, that's us, the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. These Old Testament passages uh, are speaking of the restoration of Israel during this time. These people have endured this tribulation period. They've heard the message. Now they're living in a place of peace with Christ on the earth. Let me, let me, let me just ask you a question. Who can imagine earth where Jesus is president? Now, we know he's king. I'm speaking in languages we understand, right? Who can imagine earth where Jesus is in control? It's going to be a wonderful place. The effects of the curse will not be allowed to flourish and prosper. It's going to be amazing. Now, here's what gets interesting. After the blessings of this millennial period this a thousand years christ is ruling and reigning now you need to understand folks are not like sinning 
in this, in this time. Jesus ain't letting them. He's ruling them with a rod of iron. And somehow, someway, if we're ruling and reigning with Christ, we have something to do with that. I'm not all to 100% clear, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're helping keep everything in check. I don't know. We are ruling and reigning with Christ during that time. Christ is ruling with a rod of iron. Satan's bound in that bottomless pit. And you think, man, this is great. We're just going to go right on, right into eternity. That's not what happens. See, back in our passage, in verse number, let's look at it together, Revelation 20. Go back to verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. He shut him up, and he set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. So there was no deception going on right here. Until the thousand years were finished, but notice here, but after these things, he must, everybody say he must, he must be released for a while. Question everybody has, it's a legitimate question. <laughs> God, why? He's bound. The earth is going great. Why? Why, 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 why just not keep him down there? We can throw rocks at him, amen? Like, why? Good question. But there's a legitimate answer. Because even though Christ was ruling with a rod of iron, he was keeping order in this millennial kingdom, these people we're going to have to go on to judgment. Because those who were caught in the first resurrection stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, right? We were judged. But then after this seven year, after this thousand year period, you see, the, um, the resurrection of the righteous, they were the only ones resurrected at the first. The wicked dead, they weren't resurrected. They're not resurrected to the end of the thousand years. And then they're cast forever into the lake of fire. But because God is just, because he will never make somebody fully serve him in that way without free will, had to allow these people to experience free will in that way. So they experienced what it was like. Get this, this is insane if you ask me they experienced living with christ in perfect harmony peace on earth total prosperity no sickness no nothing okay time clock went out on the devil he's let loose and now he goes forth tempting the nations again you know what the bible says the bible says all of those people in the millennial kingdom they said devil you're dumb and they followed jesus no that's not what it says even after these people lived with perfect harmony, the devil led a revolt. He got a, how does this happen? How do you live walking with Jesus eyeball to eyeball, face to face, like the disciples except times 10, because you're not in a sinful state, Christ is ruling, and then now Satan is loose, and he talks people into leading a revolt. And then you know what happens? There's a final battle where God destroys those wicked 
And then he renovates the earth with fire. And then John, the revelator, looks up after that final judgment. Because the Bible says death and hell gave up the dead. And all whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. They were judged and they were thrown into the lake of fire. You see, the wicked, when they die right now, they go to hell. Now, hell is like, let me explain it to you like this. People, people get confused. Believers, when we die, we go into the presence of the Lord, right? We call it paradise, presence of the Lord, whatever. You're not in an absent sleeping state. You're in the presence of God, okay? But Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But hell is like county jail, right? You're waiting there till you get sentenced to prison. That's what the Bible teaches. It's the wicked, the place for the wicked dead that are awaiting their eternal judgment. So you have hell, then you have the lake of fire, okay? And so the wicked are in hell waiting their eternal punishment. It's like county jail waiting to be booked and processed for prison. And then all of a sudden, at the end of this thousand-year reign, everybody whose name's not in that book, they stand up before the throne of God. And they're cast forever into eternal damnation. Man, that doesn't sound good. It doesn't. You see, this is why we do what we do every single day. This is why we exist as a church. Not to sing cool songs, not to have inspiring messages, not to, not to tickle your fancy. It's to keep people from going to this place. But I want to give you some encouragement, okay? Let me give you some encouragement. I'm done. This passage right here, along with John chapter 6, verse 60 through 66, encouraged me more than any other passage in the entire Bible as a pastor. Because in John 6, verse 60 through 66, the Bible says that some people are following Jesus and he turns and he realizes and he recognizes these people are only following him because of miracles, are only following him because of bread, what he can do for them. They're in the Jesus fan club. Jesus feed me. Jesus bless me. Jesus help me. Jesus recognizes it. He turns and he says, you only follow me for the fish and the loaves. And John 6, verse 66 says, from that day forward, many of his disciples turned away from him and never followed him again. Then you got these people in the millennial kingdom that are living with Jesus, right? And the moment the devil gets out, they lead a revolt. And God destroys them with the, fires, the fiery uh, words of his mouth. I had to come to realize if everybody won't follow Jesus, everybody, you didn't get that, did you? I don't think you got it. If everybody won't follow Jesus, everybody probably won't follow us either. Amen? He was perfect. So I've had to try to learn not to be so downcast if somebody doesn't want to go to the promised land if they didn't follow Jesus they won't necessarily follow us either but that's not my my goal to focus on that my job and your job as Christians are to make sure 
that we tell people about his plan of redemption so that they don't have to face eternal judgment. The Bible says if you see the wicked coming and you say nothing, the blood is on your hands. Guess what? Our job is to tell them about the love of God, the grace of God, and that God has a plan for their life. Now this right here may not be super encouraging to you, but it is to me. I'm really done. Close your Bible. Stand up. Let me pray for you. It's encouraging to me because the millennial reign tells me this. God keeps his promises. This is a major promise to Israel right here. You will always be my people. He told Abraham, you will always, your seed will always be on the earth. They'll never be non-existent. This is an amazing time. And then in the next week and the week to come, I think next week is the final judgment. Then we're going to get into the new heavens and new earth, so I don't want to get into too much about it. But man, when, if you can just read the words of John and get a glimpse of heaven, oh, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. I don't know why anybody would choose to go to hell when God has given us such a wonderful place like heaven.